Book 19, Chapter 1, Part 1 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicola K. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 19, Chapter 1, Part 1. Book 19. Containing the interval of three years and a half, from the departure out of Babylon to Phaedus, the Roman procurator. Chapter 1. How Caius was slain by Caria. Now this Caius, a footnote called Caligula by the Romans, End footnote. did not demonstrate his madness in offering injuries only to the Jews at Jerusalem or to those that dwelt in the neighborhood, but suffered it to extend itself through all the earth and sea, so far as was in subjection to the Romans, and filled it with ten thousand mischiefs, so many indeed in number as no former history relates. But Rome itself felt the most dismal effects of what he did while he deemed that not to be any way more honorable than the rest of the cities. But he pulled and hauled its other citizens, but especially the Senate, and particularly the nobility, and such as had been dignified by illustrious ancestors. He also had ten thousand devices against such of the equestrian order, as it was styled, who were esteemed by the citizens equal in dignity and wealth with the senators, because out of them the senators were themselves chosen. These he treated after all ignominious manner, and removed them out of his way, while they were at once slain and their wealth plundered, because he slew men generally in order to seize on their riches. He also asserted his own divinity, and insisted on greater honors be paid him by his subjects than are due to mankind. He also frequented that temple of Jupiter, which they style the Capitol, which is with them the most holy of all their temples, and had boldness enough to call himself the brother of Jupiter. And other pranks he did like a madman, as when he laid a bridge from the city Dysarchia, which belongs to Campania, to Mycenaeum, another city upon the seaside, from one promontory to another, of the length of thirty furlongs, as measured over the sea. And this was done because he esteemed it to be a most tedious thing to row over it in a small ship, and thought withal that it became him to make that bridge since he was lord of the sea, and might oblige it to give marks of obedience, as well as the earth. So he enclosed the whole bay within his bridge, and drove his chariot over it, and thought that, as he was a god, it was fit for him to travel over such roads as this was. Nor did he abstain from the plunder of any of the Grecian temples, and gave order that all the engravings and sculptures, and the rest of the ornaments of the statues and donations therein dedicated, should be brought to him, saying that the best things ought to be set nowhere but in the best place, and that the city of Rome was that best place. 
He also adorned his own house and his gardens with the curiosities brought from those temples, together with the houses he lay at when he traveled all over Italy, whence he did not scruple to give a command that the statue of Jupiter Olympius, so called because he was honored at the Olympian games by the Greeks, which was the work of Phidias the Athenian, should be brought to Rome. Yet did he not compass his end, because the architects told Memmius Regulus, who was commanded to remove that statue of Jupiter, that the workmanship was such as would be spoiled, and would not bear the removal. It was also reported that Memmius, both on that account, and on account of some such mighty prodigies as are of an incredible nature, put off the taking it down, and wrote to Caius those accounts, as his apology for not having done what his epistle required of him and that when he was thence in danger of perishing he was saved by caius being dead himself before he had him put to death nay caius's madness came to this height that when he had a daughter born he carried her into the capital and put her upon the knees of the statue and said that the child was common to him and to jupiter and determined that she had two fathers but which of these fathers were the greatest he left undetermined and yet mankind bore him in such his pranks he also gave leave to slaves to accuse their masters of any crimes whatsoever they pleased for all such accusations were terrible because they were in great part made to please him and at his suggestion insomuch that pollux claudius's slave had the boldness to lay an accusation against claudius himself and caius was not ashamed to be present at his trial of life and death to hear that trial of his own uncle in hopes of being able to take him off although he did not succeed to his mind but when he had filled the whole habitable world which he governed with false accusations and miseries and had occasioned the greatest insults of slaves against their masters who indeed in a great measure ruled them there were many secret plots now laid against him some in anger and in order for men to revenge themselves on account of the miseries they had already undergone from him and others made attempts upon him in order to take him off before they should fall into such great miseries while his death came very fortunately for the preservation of the laws of all men and had a great influence upon the public welfare and this happened most happily for our nation in particular which had almost utterly perished if he had not been suddenly slain and i confess i have a mind to give a full account of this matter particularly because it will afford great assurance of the power of god and great comfort to those that are under afflictions and wise caution to those who think their happiness will never end nor bring them at length to the most lasting miseries if they do not conduct their lives by the principles of virtue now there were three several conspiracies made in order to take off Caius, and each of these three were conducted by excellent persons. Emilius Regulus, born at Cordoba in Spain, got some men together and was desirous to take Caius off, either by them or by himself. Another conspiracy there was laid by them under the conduct of Caria Cassius, the tribune of the Praetorian band. Minucianus Anins was also one of great consequence among those that were prepared to oppose his tyranny. 
Now the several occasions of these men's several hatred and conspiracy against Caius were these. Regulus had indignation and hatred against all injustice, for he had a mind naturally angry and bold and free, which made him not conceal his counsels. So he communicated them to many of his friends, and to others who seemed to him persons of activity and vigor. Minucianus entered into this conspiracy because of the injustice done to Lepidus, his particular friend, and one of the best character of all the citizens, whom Caius had slain, also because he was afraid of himself, since Caius's wrath tended to the slaughter of all alike, and for Chaerea he came in because he thought it a deed worthy of a free, ingenuous man to kill Caius, and was ashamed of the reproaches he lay under from Caius, as though he were a coward, as also because he was himself in danger every day from his friendship with him, and the observance he paid him. These men proposed this attempt to all the rest that were concerned, who saw the injuries that were offered them, and were desirous that Caius's slaughter might succeed by their mutual assistance of one another and they might themselves escape being killed by the taking off caius that perhaps they should gain their point and that it would be a happy thing if they should gain it to approve themselves to so many excellent persons as earnestly wished to be partakers with them in their design for the delivery of the city and of the government even at the hazard of their own lives but still Chaerea was the most zealous of them all, both out of a desire of getting himself the greatest name, and also by reason of his access to Caius's presence with less danger, because he was tribune, and could therefore the more easily kill him. Now at this time came on the horse-races, Circensian Games, the view of which games was eagerly desired by the people of Rome, for they come with great alacrity into the hippodrome, or circus, at such times, and petition their emperors in great multitudes for what they stand in need of, who usually did not think fit to deny them their requests, but readily and gratefully granted them. Accordingly, they most importunately desired that Caius would now ease them in their tributes, and abate somewhat of the rigor of their taxes imposed upon them, but he would not hear their petition and when their clamours increased he sent soldiers some one way and some another and gave order that they should lay hold on those that made the clamours and without any more ado bring them out and put them to death these were caius's commands and those who were commanded executed the same and the number of those who were slain on this occasion was very great now the people saw this, and bore it so far that they left off clamoring, because they saw with their own eyes that this petition to be relieved, as to the payment of their money, brought immediate death upon them. These things made Chaerea more resolute to go on with his plot, in order to put an end to this barbarity of Caius against the men. He then at several times thought to fall upon Caius, even as he was feasting, yet did he restrain himself by some considerations not that he had any doubt on him about killing him but as watching for a proper season that the attempt might not be frustrated but that he might give the blow so as might certainly gain his purpose Chaerea had been in the army a long time, yet was he not pleased with conversing so much with Caius, but Caius had sent him to require the tributes and other dues, which, when not paid in due time, were forfeited to Caesar's treasury, and he had made some delays in requiring them, because those burdens had been doubled, and had rather indulged his own mild disposition than performed Caius's command.' 
Nay, indeed, he provoked Caius to anger by his sparing men, and pitying the hard fortunes of those from whom he demanded the taxes. And Caius upbraided him with his sloth and effeminacy in being so long about collecting the taxes. And indeed he did not only affront him in other respects, but when he gave him the watchword of the day, to whom it was to be given by his place, he gave him feminine words and those of a nature very reproachful, and these watchwords he gave out as having been initiated in the secrets of certain mysteries, which he had been himself the author of. Now, although he had sometimes put on women's clothes and had been wrapped in some embroidered garments to them belonging, and done a great many other things in order to make the company mistake him for a woman, yet did he, by way of reproach, object the like womanish behavior to Korea. But when Korea received the watchword from him, he had indignation at it, but had greater indignation at the delivery of it to others, as being laughed at by those that received it insomuch that his fellow tribunes made him the subject of their drollery for they would foretell that he would bring them some of his usual watchwords when he was about to take the watchword from caesar and would thereby make him ridiculous on which accounts he took the courage of assuming certain partners to him as having just reasons for his indignation against caius now there was one pompedius a senator and one who had gone through almost all posts in the government, but otherwise an Epicurean, and for that reason loved to lead an inactive life. Now Timidius, an enemy of his, had informed Caius that he had used indecent reproaches against him, and he made use of Quintilia for a witness to them. A woman she was much beloved by many that frequented the theatre, and particularly by Pompedius on account of her great beauty now this woman thought it a horrible thing to attest to an accusation that touched the life of her lover which also was a lie timidius however wanted to have her brought to the torture caius was irritated at this reproach upon him and commanded chorea without any delay to torture quintilia as he used to employ chorea in such bloody matters and those that required the torture because he thought he would do it the more barbarously in order to avoid that imputation of effeminacy which he had laid upon him. But Quintilia, when she was brought to the rack, trod upon the foot of one of her associates, and let him know that he might be of good courage, and not be afraid of the consequence of her tortures, for that she would bear them with magnanimity. Chorea tortured this woman after a cruel manner, unwillingly indeed, but because he could not help it he then brought her without being in the least moved at what she had suffered into the presence of caius and that in such a state as was sad to behold and caius being somewhat affected with the sight of quintilia who had her body miserably disordered by the pains she had undergone freed both her and pompedius of the crime laid to their charge he also gave her money to make her an honorable amends and comfort her for that maiming of her body which she had suffered and for her glorious patience under such insufferable torments this matter sorely grieved chorea as having been the cause as far as he could or the instrument of those miseries to men which seemed worthy of consolation to caius himself 
on which account he said to clement and to papinius of whom clement was general of the army and papinius was a tribune to be sure o clement we have no way failed in our guarding the emperor for as to those that have made conspiracies against his government some have been slain by our care and pains and some have been by us tortured and this to such a degree that he hath himself pitied them how great then is our virtue in submitting to conduct his armies Clement held his peace, but showed the shame he was under in obeying Caius's orders, both by his eyes and his blushing countenance, while he thought it by no means right to accuse the emperor in express words, lest their own safety should be endangered thereby. Upon which Chaerea took courage, and spake to him without fear of the dangers that were before him, and discoursed largely of the sore calamities under which the city and the government then laboured, and said, We may indeed pretend in words that Caius is the person unto whom the cause of such miseries ought to be imputed. But in the opinion of such as are able to judge uprightly, it is I, O Clement, and this Papinius, and before us thou thyself, who bring these tortures upon the Romans, and upon all mankind. It is not done by our being subservient to the commands of Caius, but it is done by our own consent. For whereas it is in our power to put an end to the life of this man, who hath so terribly injured the citizens and his subjects, we are his guard in mischief, and his executioners instead of his soldiers, and are the instruments of his cruelty. We bear these weapons not for our liberty, not for the Roman government, but only for his preservation, who hath enslaved both their bodies and their minds. And we are every day polluted with the blood that we shed, and the torments we inflict upon others. And this we do till somebody becomes Caius's instrument in bringing the like miseries upon ourselves. Nor does he thus employ us because he hath a kindness for us, but rather because he hath a suspicion of us, as also because when abundance more have been killed, for Caius will set no bounds to his wrath, since he aims to do all, not out of regard to justice, but to his own pleasure, we shall also ourselves be exposed to his cruelty, whereas we ought to be the means of confirming the security and liberty of all, and at the same time to resolve to free ourselves from dangers. Hereupon Clement openly commended Chaerea's intentions, but bid him hold his tongue, for that in case his words should get out among many, and such things should be spread abroad as were fit to be concealed, the plot would come to be discovered before it was executed, and they should be brought to punishment, but that they should leave all to futurity, and the hope which thence arose that some fortunate event would come to their assistance that as for himself his age would not permit him to make any attempt in that case however although perhaps i could suggest what may be safer than what thou chaerea hast contrived and said yet how is it possible for any one to suggest what is more for thy reputation so clement went his way home with deep reflections on what he had heard and what he had himself said Chaerea also was under a concern, and went quickly to Cornelius Sabinus, who was himself one of the tribunes, and whom he otherwise knew to be a worthy man, and a lover of liberty, and on that account very uneasy at the present management of public affairs, he being desirous to come immediately to the execution of what had been determined, and thinking it right for him to propose it to the other, and afraid lest Clement should discover them, and besides looking upon delays and puttings off, to be the next 
to desisting from the enterprise. But as all was agreeable to Sabinus, who had himself equally without Korea the same design, but had been silent for want of a person to whom he could safely communicate that design, so having now met with one who not only promised to conceal what he heard, but who had already opened his mind to him, he was much more encouraged, and desired of Korea that no delay might be made therein. Accordingly they went to Minucianus, who was as virtuous a man, and as zealous to do glorious actions as themselves, and suspected by Caius on occasion of the slaughter of Lepidus. For Minucianus and Lepidus were intimate friends, and both in fear of the dangers that they were under. For Caius was terrible to all the great men, as appearing ready to act a mad part towards each of them in particular, and towards all of them in general. And these men were afraid of one another, while they were yet uneasy at the posture of affairs, but avoided to declare their mind and their hatred against Caius to one another, out of fear of the dangers they might be in thereby, although they perceived by other means their mutual hatred against Caius, and on that account were not averse to a mutual kindness one towards another. When Minucianus and Chaerea had met together and saluted one another, as they had been used on former conversations to give the upper hand to Minucianus, both on account of his eminent dignity, for he was the noblest of all the citizens, and highly commended by all men, especially when he made speeches to them, Minucianus began first and asked Chaerea, what was the watchword he had received that day from Caius, for the affront which was offered Korea in giving the watchwords was famous over the city. But Korea made no delay so long as to reply to that question, out of the joy he had that Minucianus would have such confidence in him as to discourse with him. But do thou, said he, give me the watchword of liberty, and I return thee my thanks that thou hast so greatly encouraged me to exert myself after an extraordinary manner nor do i stand in need of many words to encourage me since both thou and i are of the same mind and partakers of the same resolutions and this before we have conferred together i have indeed but one sword girt on but this one will serve us both come on therefore let us set about the work do thou go first if thou hast a mind and bid me follow thee or else i will go first and thou shalt assist me and we will assist one another and trust one another nor is there a necessity for even one sword to such as have a mind disposed to such works, by which mind the sword uses to be successful. I am zealous about this action, nor am I solicitous what I may myself undergo, for I cannot at leisure to consider the dangers that may come upon myself, so deeply am I troubled at the slavery our once free country is now under and at the contempt cast upon our excellent laws, and at the destruction which hangs over all men by the means of Caius. I wish that I may be judged by thee, and that thou mayest esteem me worthy of credit in these matters, seeing we are both of the same opinion, and there is herein no difference between us. When Minuciana saw the vehemency with which Chaerea delivered himself, he gladly embraced him, and encouraged him in his bold attempt, commending him and embracing him. So he let him go with his good wishes, and some affirmed that he thereby confirmed Minucianus in the prosecution of what had been agreed among them. For as Chaerea entered into the court, the report runs that a voice came from among the multitude to encourage him, 
which bid him finish what he was about, and take the opportunity that providence afforded, and that Chirea at first suspected that some one of the conspirators had betrayed him, and he was caught, but at length perceived that it was by way of exhortation, whether somebody that was conscious of what he was about gave a signal for his encouragement, or whether it was God himself who looks upon the actions of men that encouraged him to go on boldly in his design, is uncertain. The plot was now communicated to a great many, and they were all in their armor, some of the conspirators being senators, and some of the equestrian order, and as many of the soldiery as were made acquainted with it for there was not one of them who would not reckon it a part of his happiness to kill caius and on that account they were all very zealous in the affair by what means soever any one could come at it that he might not be behindhand in these virtuous designs but might be ready with all his alacrity or power both by words and actions to complete the slaughter of a tyrant and besides these callistus also who was a freedman of caius and was the only man that had arrived at the greatest degree of power under him such a power indeed as was in a manner equal to the power of the tyrant himself by the dread that all men had of him and by the great riches he had acquired for he took bribes most plenteously and committed injuries without bounds and was more extravagant in the use of his power in unjust proceedings than any other he also knew the disposition of caius to be implacable and never to be turned from what he had resolved on he had withal many other reasons why he thought himself in danger and the vastness of his wealth was not one of the least of them on which account he privately ingratiated himself with clavdivs and transferred his courtship to him out of this hope that in case upon the removal of caius the government should come to him his interest in such changes should lay a foundation for his preserving his dignity under him since he laid in beforehand a stock of merit and did clavdivs good offices in his promotion he had also the boldness to pretend that he had been persuaded to make away with clavdivs by poisoning him but had still invented ten thousand excuses for delaying to do it but it seems probable to me that callistus only counterfeited this in order to ingratiate himself with clavdivs for if caius had been in earnest resolved to take off clavdivs he would not have admitted of callistus's excuses nor would callistus if he had been enjoined to do such an act as was desired by caius have put it off nor if he had disobeyed those injunctions of his master had he escaped immediate punishment while clavdivs was preserved from the madness of caius by a certain divine providence and callistus pretended to such a piece of merit as he no way deserved however the execution of Caria's designs was put off from day to day by the sloth of many therein concerned for as to Caria himself he would not willingly make any delay in that execution thinking every time a fit time for it for frequent opportunities offered themselves as when caius went up to the capital to sacrifice for his daughter or when he stood upon his royal palace and threw gold and silver pieces of money among the people he might be pushed down headlong because the top of the palace that looks towards the market-place was very high and also when he celebrated the mysteries which he had appointed at that time for he was then no way secluded from the people but solicitous to do everything carefully and decently and was free from all suspicion that he should be then assaulted by anybody 
and although the gods should afford him no divine assistance to enable him to take away his life, yet had he the strength himself sufficient to despatch Caius, even without a sword. Thus was Chaerea angry at his fellow conspirators, for fear they should suffer a proper opportunity to pass by, and they were themselves sensible that he had just cause to be angry at them, and that his eagerness was for their advantage yet did they desire he would have a little longer patience lest upon any disappointment they might meet with they should put the city into disorder and an inquisition should be made after the conspiracy and should render the courage of those that were to attack caius without success while he would then secure himself more carefully than ever against them that it would therefore be the best to set about the work when the shows were exhibited in the palace these shows were acted in honor of that caesar who first of all changed the popular government and transferred it to himself galleries being fixed before the palace where the romans that were patricians became spectators together with their children and their wives and caesar himself was to be also a spectator and they reckoned among those many ten thousands who would there be crowded into a narrow compass they should have a favorable opportunity to make their attempt upon him as he came in because his guards that should protect him if any of them should have a mind to do it would not hear be able to give him any assistance. End of Book 19 Chapter 1 Part 1 Recording by Nicola Kay